Hi, this is Daniela Wolf with Bestie Life, the podcast, and this is your community to support you through the little and not so little events that make up your day-to-day life. From the I've got this moments to the Ugh, I just can't moments, we are here to empower all women to find and develop the skills they need to find peace, balance, and the bliss in their busy through solo episodes as well as interviews with amazing women who share their journey and their story and how it works for you. I hope you find the inspirations to make you laugh, think, as well as maybe rethink what you thought you knew and connect as we realize that we are all living similar ups and downs and don't have to do it alone. So excited for you to hear this episode and thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, this is Daniela with Bestie Life, the podcast, and today I'm excited for you to meet Heather Lillico. She is a holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation teacher. She has experienced her own bouts of anxiety, as well as now teaches overthinking, people-pleasing perfectionists how to manage their anxiety naturally and holistically without feeling overwhelmed. So thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Daniela. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with sharing a little bit about your journey, what you've been through, how you've worked through things, as well as the business that you have now. Yes, let's dive in. So as you (laughs) shared, I am a holistic nutritionist, a yoga and meditation teacher, and I got into this area through my own experience with anxiety. And after getting a handle on it, I wanted to share what I've learned and help others. So growing up, I was always kind of a nervous kid. And I was sensitive, any type of criticism, and I would be in tears. I was an empath. I could pick up on the emotions of others very readily. Like if someone was upset, I could immediately tell before they said anything. And I was a perfectionist. I had to get top marks or I felt like a complete failure. And I was an overthinker. And I would overthink about all sorts of things. I remember after hanging out with friends, I would start to overthink about you know, how did that conversation go? Should I have yes. said something different? Oh, did I mm-hmm. come across as awkward or weird? So all of that was my internal monologue, this this worry, this self-doubt, and all of that followed me through to university where the pressure just became too much and I started having panic attacks. And I remember the first one I had, I was at a crowded party in university and my heart started to beat fast, my palms got sweaty, my vision tunneled, and I had this like overwhelming sense of dread take over. And so I locked myself in the bathroom I remember just sliding down the wall, waiting for it to pass and thinking that I was dying, like this was it. That's how intense Mm -hmm. it felt. So I started living in fear of when was the next anxiety attack going to hit? And it got to the point where I was so overwhelmed. I was so on edge all the time. I was so burnt out that I went to see my doctor and I said, I'm having a lot of anxiety. What can we do? And she whipped out her prescription pad and she started writing me out something for anti-anxiety meds. And I said, let's just pump the brakes. Let me see if there are some things that I can do naturally first. And at this time, there really wasn't a lot known about this whole like natural anxiety management world. So I did my own research and I started by changing my diet. I found some foods that had evidence behind them that could help me feel calm. So I added them in and I felt a lot calmer. Mm-hmm. And then I still felt like I had a million different thoughts going around in my mind. So I tried meditation and I felt calmer still. And my nervous system still felt ramped up. So I added in yoga as well. And those for me were the 
holistic pieces of the puzzle that came together. And so this is what I share with others now is how can we heal and manage anxiety in this natural way and bring the body back into balance with the power of meditation, nutrition, and yoga. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love all those components. And I was nodding my head, like as you were describing so many things you went through, because I know I've been there. I'm sure so many of my listeners listeners have been there. And it is, it's terrifying when you get stuck in that mental loop in your head of going over things because it can take over. It can be so controlling and to be able to have a little bit of control and feel like you're doing something to make an impact and not just taking a pill and hoping and waiting, I think can be very powerful in its own way, just having that kind of ownership in it as well. Yeah. It definitely made me feel more empowered that, okay, these are habits and practices that I can put into place and really address like some of the root of what was going on. Because for me, just taking a pill wasn't going to address the root of what was going on. It may might make my symptoms better, but it wasn't going to really heal that, you know, that deeper, like what was going on? Why was I feeling so unsafe? So on edge, that was the part I had to address and and bring back into balance. Yeah. And there's definitely um, a mindset component when it comes to anxiety, you know, when it comes to, they say, you know, worry is about focusing on the future and the things you don't have control over. Regret is focusing on the past and trying to replay those situations and learning how to be present in that mind, you know, mindful place and focus on your mindset and changing the conversation in your head, which I'm sure, you know, part of meditation is clearing those thoughts. Part of yoga is grounding and centering in those present moments. And so even though they seem like very physical things that you're talking about, there is such a mental component to that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mindset is everything, right? It's all about training your brain to have an awareness of when these patterns are coming up and sort of catching yourself like, oh, I'm entering into that old story or I'm going, you know, into that old loop. I'm getting stuck. What are my coping skills? What are the tools in my toolbox that I can turn to instead? Yeah, definitely. As well as you talked a little bit about how, you know, you added some different foods to help. Were you also taking away some things as well? Because I know for me personally, I switched from a regular coffee to a mushroom coffee and that's helped me as well a lot. Oh yeah. There was a big journey for myself of really understanding how how foods were affecting my body. And as well as having anxiety, I was having a lot of IBS at the time, irritable bowel Mm -hmm. syndrome. So I was experiencing a lot of bloating, a lot of discomfort, issues with the bathroom. And it was, it was embarrassing. It was uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and, you know, it really affected my social life and my confidence. So what I found is that when I started playing around with my diet, adding foods in and seeing maybe what some culprits were that were making not only the anxiety worse, but also my digestion. So for example, fried foods was a big one, limiting Mm -hmm. those um, sugar, processed sugar. That was a big one Mm -hmm. that I really had to come down on and find some alternatives and really think through like, what was I using sugar for? For myself, I would turn towards food for comfort. So sort of untangling that relationship a little bit. Caffeine, uh, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that was a big one. I gave up caffeine fully about six years ago now and saw a huge difference in my energy levels and my focus since I, and part of what I did is, you know, relied on some of these alternatives like mushroom coffee Mm -hmm. or dandelion root tea. Um, But I also addressed my sleep because Mm -hmm. I found that I was so tired and wanting caffeine in the morning because I wasn't getting high quality sleep. Like my mind was turning so much and I felt like my to do 
to-do list was a million things long and sleep for me wasn't a priority. So when I prioritized that, I found that it became a little bit easier to um, to give up caffeine. And then I went um, mostly whole foods plant-based with my diet as well so that I could really focus on getting in these real whole foods and lots of yummy, incredible veggies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you talk about that, I was thinking when we talk about what we eat, eat, how we sleep is such a big, powerful part of that also. And for whatever reason, I don't know why we're wired, but it seems like my thoughts at two in the morning are worse than they are at three in the afternoon. Even if they're the same thoughts, just the impact they have on me, just that panic takes over in such a different way at night. I'm sure somebody has done a study and done the science of it, but I'd be fascinated because I can physically feel such a difference. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's like, let me remember this embarrassing thing that I did in the fifth grade at two in the morning <laughs> and let me replay that. And it just, everything feels so much more amplified. And I think for a lot of people, there's that pressure then of, you know, if we have that story for ourselves, like I'm not a good sleeper, then it sort of reinforces is that. And then, you know, we're laying in bed and we're going, okay, if I fall asleep now, I'm going to get seven hours. Mm -hmm. If I fall asleep now, it's going to be six hours. And that creates another layer of anxiety yeah. behind falling asleep. Yeah. It, it's so many, like so many of the symptoms, whether it's poor sleep or stomach issues, then create their own additional anxiety on top of them that you're worrying about in addition to all the outside things. So definitely finding an outlet for these things. You know, I always have kind of thought of our body holds on to our feelings. You know, there's that mind body connection. We can't separate it. And so our feelings, we can talk about them, but if we don't physically give them a way out, they're going to find a way. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Big connection there. So when someone comes to work with you, like how do you help them gauge what they need or where do you start with them? So what I found is that it is all these pieces of the puzzle that come together. So if we just work in one area, you know, maybe we just work in food, I don't think people are going to see a big enough of an effect. So I like to bring in all these pieces together. Uh, so recently, um, how I work with people is I've just launched an app called Cultivating Calm, and I bring all these holistic pieces together on the app so that you have a library of meditations that you can bring in for every, you know, anxiety and scenario. You're having imposter syndrome at work, or you can't fall asleep because your mind is racing, or you're feeling not good enough, or you know that inner critic is getting loud. Time for a meditation so that we can address it like right in the moment. Mm -hmm. So there's that sort of piece. And then also um, on the app, I provide recipes for people. So we have delicious, nutritious, whole food, plant-based recipes that are going to provide people those specific targeted nutrients that are going to help anxiety. Because I think not enough people make the link between what am I eating and how is that supporting my mental health? And then the movement piece is the last piece. So bringing in some slower, lower intensity types of movement, like yoga, for example, I think it, you know, it brings together all of these pieces. So maybe in a day, it looks like somebody's doing a couple minutes of meditation. They're eating a calming anxiety food and they're working in either a walk or a yoga practice. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be complicated, but we do have to prioritize setting up these habits and getting consistent on doing them every day. Yeah. And I love how you said it. it's a couple minutes of yoga. It's some movement and it can vary on a day-to-day -day basis. You can do five minutes of walk, 10 minutes of yoga. There's ways to make it flexible so that it works with you. Cause I think sometimes it looks like a lot, it looks like a lot of time. It looks like a lot of effort. And I think the more we can normalize just simplifying it into these smaller bites is going to make it more approachable. Well, it's so true. And the group that I work with, 
perfectionists, there's like that all or nothing thinking, right? And what I found is that sometimes people don't even want to start a new venture like meditation. Uh, one of my clients recently was saying, I just don't want to start it because I feel like I'm going to be bad at it. And as a perfectionist, being quote unquote bad at something feels really rocking to your self-worth, right? It's either like, I'm immediately good at it and I'm going to keep going. Or if I'm bad at it, I'm going to quit because I don't want to deal with the discomfort of that. So mm -hmm. I like to make it really approachable for people because chances are if you you know, have gone for a walk in nature and just felt that connection to the trees around you and, oh, I can hear the birds. That's a form of meditation. Or mm -hmm. if you've gone on a run and just been totally in the zone, it's a form of meditation. So I want to sort of demystify that, you know, we don't always have to be sitting on a cushion mm -hmm. and going home to meditate. Like it can be in different areas of our day. And in fact, that's the goal is to link together more of these mindful moments in our day so that we can stay present and get out of the loop of overthinking. Yes. I love that because it is sometimes whether it's, you know, you're smelling your coffee in the morning, you're noticing the birds you're hearing these different sounds, tasting different things, those still can help ground you in that meditative, mindful moment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about training yourself to be more present, more here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, just having different options so that you can pull them up on the app, find something that's going to work for you at that moment is going to, you're going to be more prone to do it rather than always trying to have to think of it off the top of your head. Well, exactly. And I mean, anxiety doesn't care if it's convenient or not when it's going to hit, right? <laughs> Right. Like right before, you know, that big meeting we have at work and the anxiety starts to rise or, you know, our boss sends us an email and is like, hey, can we chat? And, it, you know, you feel the anxiety start to rise. Like we don't get to choose necessarily when the anxiety, the emotion of it shows up for us. So that's why I think we need something sort of convenient on the go, like in our pocket that we can turn mm -hmm. to to help us feel calm. Yeah. And especially if the anxiety is going to come from different places, you're going to have to kind of address it in different ways, as well as you talked about that perfectionistic mindset. That's why it's called a practice. It's not just because it's a Zen way to talk about it or anything like that. It truly is a practice that it, you have to do over and over to keep working on. And it's not that you ever truly master it because there will always be different life events that you're working and practicing on coping with. I almost like to think of it like a golf game sometimes, like I'm not good at golf by any means, but that's one of those things you can go on the same course 10 days in a row and have 10 completely different games, but you're practicing that skill regardless of how it plays out. Exactly. Right. That's a mindset shift to be just working on developing the practice, right? Strengthening the muscle of the mind to come back to the present moment, to recognize when you've shifted out of regulation. Because a lot of people think that, you know, when you do this work that you'll be fully calm and Zen all the time. And that people are like, Oh, Heather, you must be the the calmest person in the world. You teach yoga and meditation. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. I have freak outs all the time. But mm -hmm. what I have learned is how to bring myself back into regulation. I think that's what we can get better at is not the expectation that we would never be dysregulated, that we would never experience the emotion of anxiety. It's, it's there for a purpose. It's there to alert us of a possible danger. But what we can train ourselves to do is notice, Oh, I've gone out of that regulated state right? I've gone away from calm. What can I do to come back into balance, to come back, to find my center, my grounding? Yeah. And just to rethink it too, you know, our body, like you said, it's, it's designed to 
help recognize danger. But back when this all happened, we were watching out for like saber-toothed tigers that were going to eat us. That's not the case now. Now it might just be an uncomfortable conversation. And that's a very different kind of danger. And so it doesn't need to trigger that same response. And when we tell ourselves that, we can have that perspective to then utilize those tools and re-regulate. It's such a good point, Daniela. Yeah, the types of danger that we experience. And this is why sometimes people will say, like, I don't, there's no reason behind the anxiety. There's nothing to be anxious about. But what we're not realizing is something that we perceived in our environment, the body is deeming as dangerous. And it's often an emotional danger, which like side note, I think would be a fantastic band name, emotional danger. (laughs) But that's what we're trying to recognize is, you know, something has felt uneasy to me. It's, you know, it's felt dangerous. And this is where we need to go deeper into those like limiting beliefs, the subconscious beliefs, the stories or the scripts that we have running through our minds. Because if we have this script, for example, that, you know, people are going to leave or abandon me, then that's what's being activated in those scenarios. And as social creatures, that would feel very dangerous to your survival, right? And mm-hmm. so it does link into, into anxiety, even though you know, you're know you just sending an email to somebody, or even though you're having just a difficult conversation with somebody, it's not true physical danger and the threat of death, but the, that emotional danger is uh, enough to trigger the body. Yeah. As well as people don't always realize physiologically, excitement and anxiety express exactly exactly the same in the body. It feels exactly the same. And to mentally, you have to kind of tell yourself, this is not dangerous. This is not scary. This is exciting. This is positive. And just because I feel that way doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Yes. There's this really neat study that looked at that where they had a group of people come in and they they split them into two groups and they had one group say they were going to uh, perform and sing live. They were going to sing Journeys, Don't Stop Believing, <laughs> such a classic karaoke song. And they had one group say, I'm nervous before they went on stage. And they had that other group say, I'm excited before they went on stage. And then both groups went out and they sang their hearts out. And when they looked afterwards and they actually measured how often people were on pitch and the people who said, I am excited to sing, they were on pitch more often. So Mm -hmm. it actually improves performance, right? By telling ourselves, we call it anxiety reappraisal is when we can say, I'm excited. I'm excited. Now that works really well for things like public speaking, where Mm -hmm. it doesn't work well is if you're feeling like everybody hates you, your brain is telling you that, right? We can't be like, I'm excited. Everybody hates me. It's so we can sort of choose it for those public speaking, those times where we have to um, have a, you know, a tough conversation. We can sort of see, and maybe that's where gratitude comes in a little bit too, right? Is we can see like, the light at the end of the tunnel or like something good could come out of this. And that can kind of shift the anxiety a little bit too. Absolutely. It's always situational, but that's why, again, having these options, that toolkit to be able to pull from based on the situation. And I love that you brought up gratitude. That's one of my favorite self-care practices that I think is under-recognized and underutilized because we're always looking forward, but that gratitude is so present. Yeah. Right. It pulls us. I mean, gratitude is like the antidote to anxiety because anxiety is so future worry and focus and gratitude is like, no, what's good now? Because also even in the midst of anxiety, even when things are hard and the to-do list is long, there are still things that can be, we can be grateful for, right? If you have a roof over your head, if you have a job, if you have a friend or someone you love or a pet, those are all incredible things to be grateful for. So it gives us a little bit of perspective, I think, when we can express gratitude. Yeah. And I always love to ask my guests, you know, what are some of the maybe top two or three 
three things that you would say you're the most grateful for? Mm, that's such a good question. I mean, I'm grateful for being on this podcast, <laughs> for being able to share this message. Um, I always choose uh, a word of the year and my word of 2024 is impact. So it, I feel very grateful that I can come in and be able to share this message and help others and use my uh, experience. Because for me, I mean, anxiety, it sucks, right? It's so hard. <laughs> and it was really overwhelming for me for so many years. So I feel so grateful that I get to share this uh, with others and be able to use what I've learned and pull some nuggets from it and then uh, be able to hopefully help someone else. No, that's fantastic. And so then where can people find you? How can they work with you? How can they connect? Yeah, happy to share that. Well, first, thank you so much again, Daniela, for having me on, for being able to share this with your listeners. So again, for those listening, my name is Heather Lillico, and you can come hang out with me in my community, Cultivating Calm. So if you're someone who wakes up in the morning with a pit of dread in your stomach because you're anxious about your to-do list, or you find yourself distracted throughout the day, procrastinating, worrying about the what-ifs, or if you don't know how to relax without feeling guilty, then you can download the Cultivating Calm app. And it's all about teaching you the habits that you need to feel confident, to stay present and enjoy every moment and know that you deserve to relax. So it's holistic, all-in-one anxiety support. It's convenient on the go. And it puts all these puzzle pieces that we were talking about today, uh, puts them together to come at anxiety from the root angle, or excuse me, from um, every angle. And there's courses on there. There's meditations, there's recipes, there's uh, yoga practices to take. So lots to explore. And if you download the Cultivating Calm app, either through the App Store or Google Play, you can start a free 14-day trial uh, of the app and make mental space for what really matters. That's awesome. And all those links will be live in the show notes below. So thank you so much again, Heather, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much again for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know any questions or comments that you have. Also, if you can please leave an Apple five-star review so that this episode can be shared with more women. There's two quotes that I love. Alone we may be strong, but together we are stronger, as well as when women support each other, incredible things happen. So let's be stronger and incredible together, as well as maybe just have some fun along the way. Thanks so much and talk to you soon. Bye.